Atmosphere Church podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we want to make ourselves available to you in any way we can. If you need prayer or just someone to talk with, please send us an email to info at atmosphere.church. Someone from our team will be sure to connect with you. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. Now, wasn't that cool? So I know some of you weren't able to make that, but that was last Saturday that we did this big serve day. And if you're new to our church, we do these serve days twice a year because we believe that one of the biggest ways that we can love people is by serving them. And so we went out and we did some outrageous acts of love on our community. We did this big block party at the apartment complex that's right down the road here. And man, it was just blowing people away. They kept saying, why are you doing this? We just kept saying, we just want to love you. And it's just so powerful when you're able to do things like that with no strings attached. It's Jesus-style love. It changes people. And I'm convinced that lives are changed, people were healed, families were restored, just because we took five hours out of our busy schedules, and we said, we're going to do nothing but love people and serve them right where they're at. So I'm so proud of you, church. I mean, we're a new church, but man, we are loving our community well, all right? So we are talking about love. This is, matter of fact, the last message that we're going to talk about love. Well, it's going to come up in our other messages, but a whole series looking at what love is, because as we've been talking, this word is way overused but underlived out. And I believe our culture has really distorted it to where when you start asking people what is love, you're going to get all kinds of flavors of answers. But I think the ones that are the the funniest to listen to are the perspectives uh, of little kids and how they view love. And I was reading an article this week and they were interviewing some kids between the ages of five and 10 years old, and they asked them the question, uh, how would you describe love? And I I love some of their answers. It says, uh, one uh, little boy says, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. (laughs) That's love. Share those french fries. Here's another one. If you wanna learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you don't like to play with. I like that. Love is when someone hurts you and you get so mad but you don't yell at them because you know it would hurt their feelings. This is little kids. And this is my favorite. Love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. That's true love right there. Here's another one. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him home alone all day. And here's the last one. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget, and it's good for them to get reminded. Now, I I look at these are little kids giving us answers, and I think in a way, they are probably describing love better than most of us would. And so we're taking some time to really unpack 1 Corinthians 13 because it really gives us a a description of love in a way 
that we can get our arms around and we can start kind of seeing how we're doing when it comes to loving people in this way. And this is why Paul even writes about it in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can get get them open. Uh, We're going to be looking at this uh, part of the chapter that we've been looking at. But let me pray this. Father, I thank you so much for what you have in store for us this morning. God, I thank you for the beautiful ways you are using Atmosphere Church to show this community love. And Lord, we need to have more love that is being poured out on this valley, especially this week as Julian already prayed. We need that love. And God, show us how to be the outrageous lovers you called us to be. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. First Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. We wanna look at this idea that love never fails today. As we kind of conclude this whole series, this is the last part of the description, that it never fails. And we want to kind of unpack that a little bit. How many of you have ever went out to your car, you're already kind of late to work, and you go to start your car? I used to say turn the key, but most of us press a button now, right? And you inevitably turn the key, and you press the button, and you hear that, and you turn it again, and you press the button again, and you're like, not today. It's like you wanted that car to start. You expected that car to start, but you got in there and the car didn't start. We, we've been in situations where we expected something to work and it didn't. And so when we read this description of love, what we're reading is that there is a kind of love that is out there that never doesn't work. It always is working. It, it, you never get the clicking sound like a, a battery that you can depend on it more than anything else in your life. When uh, we went to Africa this last time, and Josiah's in this service, he remembers this because he heard his dad pray like he's never prayed before. Um, but the, the guy that was on the safari with us, the, the Jeep driver, he does this every day of his life. And so he was taking us by these you know, animals and elephants and lions, and, and uh, he would pull right up to these animals that really could honestly hurt us very easily, and he would turn the Jeep off. And then he would just sit there, as we're like right next to lions, as we're right next to these, these elephants, and their ears are kind of moving, and the, the guide is saying like, that means that they're getting annoyed by us. I'm like, well, turn the Jeep on, and let's get out of here. You know, I can watch them 100 yards away. I don't need to be this close with them. And and it just was driving me crazy that he would turn the Jeep off. Like, it wasn't good enough just to let it idle. He would turn it off because I know that one day he's going to go to push that button or to turn that key, and it's not going to start. And so I started praying really hard that that Jeep would start every time he turned it off. I tell you, we all have experienced love that feels like it's failed us. And and so there's a a contrast between what the Bible is saying and what we've experienced. And we've been in situations where maybe somebody has said that they loved us, but, but they have failed us. 
Maybe there's situations that, that we have, matter of fact, said that, that we love somebody or we love uh, a, a group of people and somehow we have failed them. And so it's important for us to understand that the Greek language here in this particular passage, because the word fail is actually translated in the Greek language to fall, to fall. And it's interesting, it's, the word is pedo, and it comes from this, this Greek idea of occasions to depict a warrior who fell in battle. In many places, the word pipto is used to depict falling into ruin, into destruction, into some kind of misfortune or disappointment. The, the Phillips translation of verses 7 and 8, I believe, really kind of helps shed some more light on, on what uh, Paul is trying to tell us about love. He says, love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. See, real love holds up when everything else falls down. So the idea of I've fallen in love, if you've ever said that I've fallen in love, you're already kind of moving out of the scope of what real genuine love is because love never falls, period. And so if you're one of these people that you've fallen in love, I, I want to tell you that if you've fallen in love, it's possible to fall out of love. But you want to enter into a love that doesn't have anything to do with falling whatsoever. It is simply the truth that if you put yourself in a position to love somebody, inevitably that person is going to let you down. And what this kind of love is saying is it holds up even when somebody else lets you down. Now, you've also probably been in a situation where you've let somebody down that you've loved, and you know you've let them down. And so when we, when we think about this love, this, this genuine, real, authentic God love that we're talking about that doesn't fail, we, we got to level up with our love. Because how do you hold up when others let you down? How do you continue to love somebody that has done something against your life that has made it very difficult for you to hold up because you're reminded of how they've let you down? And one of the most beautiful stories in the Gospels is a story having to do with Jesus and his BFF Peter. I'm convinced like, like Peter was Jesus' right-hand guy. I mean, he's the one getting out of the water. He's the one swinging swords if people are trying to, to get after Jesus. I mean, everyone likes a buddy like that. He's just, he's, he is Jesus' battle buddy. And matter of fact, in John chapter 13, I, I want to read to you this passage. And we've been studying this. This has something to do with the whole idea of this love because Jesus says the reason is so important to understand what this love is because as we start living this love out, people are gonna connect the dots on their own that we belong to Jesus by how outrageously we love other people. And so in the same passage where Jesus is talking about this truth in John 13 verses 34 through 38, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples or you're my followers if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Because Jesus was mentioning that he was gonna be going somewhere and they couldn't go with them. 
And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. So you could see this like pride in Peter going, Jesus, I am your bro. Like, I am with you. If, if people try to attack you, I'm going to be the one that jumps up, and, and I've got your back. And Jesus said, really? <laughs> this, is, this is really how you're going to respond? Well, here, here's what you need to understand, Peter. I've seen something that you haven't even seen yet, and that, that you're going to turn your back on me, not once, not twice, but three times. And it's going to happen before the rooster even crows, before the sun even rises, you're going to deny me. Now, let's fast forward a couple chapters. We're going to go to chapter 18, because here is the scene. Jesus had been arrested. He was being kind of groomed to be put on trial before the religious elite. And in this moment of Jesus' arrest, the, the disciples kind of you know, scattered, but Peter wanted to kind of stay with Jesus, but he was nervous because, you know, they arrested Jesus, but they didn't arrest his disciples, and so they were a little bit scared and nervous that maybe they were going to be hunted down next, and so Peter was keeping his distance, and as Jesus was in this, this process of being arraigned, uh, Peter is standing by a fire, and he's warming himself, and he's, he's trying to kind of stay close enough with Jesus so he knows what's going on, and in, in chapter 18... As he's standing by the fire, he had already denied Jesus one other time. And he says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by this fire. And so they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I'm not. And one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now, it's interesting that as John is, is writing this, that he points out that Peter recognizes that rooster crowing was, was the, the sign, like, oh, Jesus saw this happening before I even did it. Peter had let Jesus down. And I, I don't know if you've been in that other place. Maybe you, you can think of a time when somebody let you down, but... Have you ever been in a place where you know that you know that you let somebody else down that was counting on you, that, that was just trusting you, and, and you just let them down? It, there's that shame that kind of moves in, and it paralyzes you. I'm imagining that in this space right here that, that Peter is just walking in a level of shame that none of us can imagine. And so I want to fast forward to chapter 21 because this is kind of where the story kind of climaxes and and we, we see Jesus display this love that Paul talks about that holds up when others let you down. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. So they're fishing, and Peter had went back to his occupation. Jesus had already been crucified. They'd already seen him resurrected. And then he went back to his occupation. It was like he, he, he just went back to work. Like he had never really done this Jesus thing. He just kind of back to his old life and his old ways, and they were fishing all night, and they couldn't catch anything. And, and as they were kind of getting ready to bring it in, there was a voice on the shore that says, hey, guys, hey, uh, you catch anything? No, of course you know. And they're irritated and annoyed by this person on the shore, and the person says, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? 
He tells this to professional fishermen, you know, this guy from the shore, and they're like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And so they said, what do we have to lose? And they throw their net on the other side of the boat, and all of a sudden, all these fish come into the net. And it was that moment that one of the disciples, John, he, he says, it's the Lord, because this had happened with Jesus before. And it's like the, they connected the dots, and the light bulb moment came, and, and then Peter realizes, man, gosh, this is my opportunity. I can make things right, possibly. And he, it says that he jumped in the water, even though they were just a little ways off of shore. So he was so, you know, Peter's that guy that just does stuff and thinks about it later. Do you know somebody like Peter? And there's like, he, he just, he jumped in the water. And he was like, I'm just going to get there before y'all. And, and while he was still swimming in, they're getting out of their boat going, what's his deal? And, and Peter gets out, he's soaking wet, and here's the Lord by the fire with the fish that, that they had just caught. And he starts making them breakfast. And as they're warming themselves, as they are finishing up their breakfast, Jesus has this conversation with Peter. And it's the most beautiful conversation, I believe, that is recorded in Scripture. John chapter 21, verse 15 says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him on a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. Peter realized that there was a reason Jesus was repeating himself and specifically three times asking him if he loved him. He says, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So here's this scenario where Peter's probably still carrying the shame on him about letting his buddy down, letting the Lord down. And Jesus, in the grace that he was, offered himself to Peter to redeem the fallen state that he had fallen into and gives him an opportunity to redeem every single denial that he had made. So the love that Jesus is putting on display here is the love that holds up even when your best friend lets you down. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus actually picked Peter back up. So the kind of outrageous just reckless love that Jesus was putting on display in this moment wasn't just a love that holds up when others let you down. It was a love that walks across the room and picks up the very one that has fallen. That is outrageous love, my friends. And this is the kind of love that legacies are made out of. And this is why Paul is saying this kind of love, uh, another translation says it never ends. There's an eternal value with this kind of real, authentic God love when, when it starts being put on display. Why? Because the essence of God's presence is love. I told you guys at the very beginning of the series that I've known three people personally that have had near-death experiences, that have died, clinically died, flatlined, and come back to life. And all three of these people, they don't know one another, but all three of them came, came to me and described the same exact experience, that when they were in the presence of God, or what at least seemed to be the presence of God, 
It was an overwhelming sensation of love like they have never experienced before. So the one common experience that all three of these different people had in common was this love. And so the one thing that we can display with our lives that has an eternal significance to it is how we love people. Because that is the essence of God's presence. And so when that love is flowing through us, we are just bringing heaven down on earth. This is why it is so imperative that we get this down. Here's Jesus with the fire, almost like he's, he's like reenacting this whole scene. The night that Jesus, or the, the night that Peter denied Jesus. The fire's there. Jesus is cooking the breakfast. And I'm imagining maybe the smell of the smoke. Did you guys smell smoke in the air this week? Yeah. Is everyone holding up okay, by the way? I, I know it's, it's been a crazy week, but there, there were these triggers, I'm sure, that are in this moment that, that Peter's just being reminded. Not only does he have Jesus who, who he understands he's let down, but the smell, the smoke, the fire, all of these things that just bear such a, a resemblance to that moment where he let Jesus down. And here's Jesus saying, you know what, Peter, I love you, and I still want to use you because this love that I have this love that I'm sharing with you, and this is the love that I'm commanding you to go and love other people with, is a never-ending love. It's a love that never stops. It's a love that never falls. Even when your BFF falls, it keeps holding on. It keeps holding up. A love that holds on and helps other people get back up when they've fallen. I, I was thinking about this idea of, of building a legacy of love, a love that, that never ends, because the, the one thing that will outlive your life is how you love other people. So once you're dead and gone and you're off this planet, the one essence of your life that will outlive you is how well you loved people. And so that's what legacy is all about. It, it's that aftermath of your life once you were gone from this earth. And the one part of your life that will outlive you is the part of your life where you love people really, really well with the, the love that we're talking about today. So I'm, I'm gonna give you three action steps about building a legacy of love for your life, a love that never fails, a love that never ends, and, and how you get there, how you start building this kind of a legacy for your own life. And here, if you wanna write these down, the, the first one is raise your roof. Not raise the roof. Ooh, ooh, that's a different sermon. Raise your roof. Raise your ceiling of your capacity that is able to love people. Because here's what I know about you, because it's true about me. We have a limitation on how we love people. And we tend to love people by default on how they love us. That's our default setting. Remember, we talked about that. We are all, we, we're on the selfie mode. Our default setting is selfie mode. And, and last week, we learned how to turn off selfie mode. But this is kind of one of those things that we need to level up. We need to increase the capacity of how we love people. And the only way we can do this is a supernatural impartation of God moving in us. That God is the only way that you are going to level up in your ability to hold people up that let you down. There's a beautiful prayer in the book of Ephesians where, where Paul mentions this idea and he's, and he's praying for them. And, and I looked at this and, and it just resonated with me. And I hope that some of you that may be struggling with loving difficult people that let you down, I hope this speaks into your soul this morning. 
Because you leveling up could just be a simple prayer away for God giving you the power that you don't have within yourself to help hold people up that have let you down. Here's the prayer. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, love is your foundation, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. So in order for you to have this revelation of the depths of the love that Jesus has for your life gives you the capacity to level up in your own love life for other people. Because you are only gonna be able to love in as far as how you feel loved by God. And so the more revelation you have of, of how deep and how wide the love of God is for you, the easier or more powerful it is gonna be for you to love other people that are difficult to love. You gotta pray it. And sometimes we just get stuck. We get, we get into relationships in our life, I and mean, sometimes if you're married, sometimes it's your spouse, where you just like, kinda just like, I just hate their face right now. I just don't even wanna look at them. You love them, but you just kinda get stuck. Any, anyone married can relate to this? It's just like, I love them, but I hate them at the same time. I just wanna be around them right now. And you, and you get into this place where you just are stuck and you, you're remembering the, the love that God has challenged you and said, I want you to love people well. I want you to power up and, and hold people up when they let you down and say, but, but she let me down and he let me down and I, I just want to pout and I, I don't want to you know, love them back right now because they're not being very lovable towards me. And this is when you have to kick on the prayer life and say, God, help me. I'll tell you right now, the most powerful prayer you can pray over a situation where you feel stuck, where you feel like you've reached your capacity of loving people is the simple prayer, and it goes like this, God, help me. Help me. I'm stuck. I've reached my capacity. God, raise my capacity to love people beyond myself, a supernatural love that I don't have in myself right now to love that person with. It's raising your roof in order to establish this kind of love. And, and, and here's the second one is restart your heart. Restart your heart. There's a, uh, another pastor, Jensen Franklin, and he wrote a book called Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. And that title alone resonates with me. And as, as I dove into his book and kind of learned a little bit more about his life, the, the truth is we've all been hurt by another human being in this room. That's the truth. Unfortunately, sometimes it comes from our moms and dads when we were little. Other times it, it comes from our spouses. It, it may come from extended family members. Sometimes it's, it's you know, our neighbor. But we've been hurt by people. That's what we all have in common. And this kind of love is a love that says, you know, I, I've got I've to move towards that person. I've got to walk across the room towards that person as if I've never been hurt before. This is what it's talking about. That in a way, because you've been introduced to Christ, that you've been reconciled with God, Paul says we've been called to be ministers of reconciliation. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a, you're a minister. Just tell them, say, you're a minister, yeah? 
We're all called to be ministers of reconciliation. Check this out, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God has reconciled, or God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message or the ministry of reconciliation. To be reconciled means to be brought back into relationship. And when we start talking about restarting your heart, and we start talking about love like you've never been hurt, see, that hurt a lot of times keeps you from reconciling with somebody. And what I've discovered is in a hurt relationship, there's two sides of it. Somebody was wrong and needs to repent, and somebody was wronged and needs to forgive. That's what I've learned. So if you want to have full reconciliation relationship, you have to have both repentance and forgiveness. You have to have both of those to bring reconciliation. And so when we're talking about entering into this kind of love that holds up when others let you down or actually walks across the room and picks somebody up that has fallen, you've got to look at this and say, I... I, I've got to be a minister right now, reconciliation. I, I have a wounded relationship in my life. And so, God, what side of the fence am I on? Am I on the side that I've wronged somebody that I need to repent? Or am I on the side of I've been wronged and I need to forgive? Because what you've been drawn into in a relationship with Christ is because you've been reconciled back to God now God has called you to be reconciled with other relationships in your life. And Paul says, as far as it's up to you, be at peace or be re reconciled with all men. It's not always possible, but you have to do your part. So if you're the part that has wronged somebody else, then your ministry in that reconciliation is, I have got to own up to my faults and I have to repent. And that means I have to move away in another direction from the way that I've been behaving towards that person. And sometimes that repentance is, I'm sorry, I apologize. Some words that are really hard to say sometimes, especially when you know that maybe inside that they've done something against you too, but, but you, as you look at the situation, you could see where maybe you're guilty of wronging them even in the place of feeling hurt by something that they did previously to you but it's owning the apology. The sitcom that I grew up with was Happy Days. How many remember Happy Days? The Fonz? Eee! Remember him? Well, see, in Happy Days, the Fonz had a problem apologizing. And when I, was, when I was growing up, that always stuck out to me. Why is it tough for the Fonz to apologize? Because he had this ego. He had this... this, this kind of this look about him, and, and he couldn't get himself to kind of lower himself down. But let me tell you, to help lift somebody back up, you have to lower yourself down. That's the ministry of reconciliation, apologizing, meeting the person in the hurt and saying, I've wronged you, and I'm so sorry. I found out that a, a person in my life uh, that has been in my life for quite a few years uh, unbeknownst to me, felt hurt by something that, that I did. And I found this out through another person, and, and it really bothered me that this person felt hurt 
by something I did that, that was innocent. I, I wasn't intentionally doing anything to hurt them, but my action indirectly hurt them, and they started voicing it to other people, and it got back to me. And so I went to that person, and I said, look, bro, I am sorry. I am sorry that, that you feel hurt by this thing that I did, and man, I, I want to make it right with you. Help me to know how I can make this right with you so that you're not, you're not staying in this hurt place. It was my attempt to walk across the room and a brother that had fallen because of something that I indirectly did to him is my attempt to help pick him back up. Even though I look at my heart going, I wasn't wrong by what I did. There was nothing inside. I look at myself in the mirror. I did nothing wrong. But yet, my brother's hurting by this. So I, I've got to do the right thing. I've got to apologize. I, I, I've got to make the step. But others of you on the other side of the fence, you've been wronged. And your, your ministry in the reconciliation is forgiveness. I'm not here to just preach and just forgive because sometimes the wounds are, are so deep. It, it, it would feel so uh, callous for me just to say, just forgive them and move on.com. You're like, you have no idea how many years of hurt I've had to endure from this person. This is very painful, Pastor. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying that you do whatever it needs to be done in order for you to forgive that person. If you need counseling, if you need need prayer, if you need a breakthrough to forgive that person, then you do everything within your abilities to let God move you to a place of forgiveness for that person. Because that's how reconciliation happens. And my friend, you are a minister of reconciliation because of what Christ has done for you. I I hope that makes sense to you. And here's the third thing is, well, before I I, I say that, it's really about loving people in the same way that God loves you. It's it's going back to that revelation. How, How does God love you? Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. So imagine you love people in the same way that you are loved by God, that every morning when you wake up, whatever chalkboard was full of all the wrongs that you've done against God, in the middle of the night, God has taken his big heavenly eraser and he's erased all of those things that you've done so that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you've got a fresh start. Imagine if we take that same mindset into our relationships and no matter what that person did to us the day before, we wake up with a clean chalkboard and our ability to have a relationship with them. So will people take advantage of that? They may, or it may just get through to them how crazy the love of God is that you will keep coming to them even when they keep hurting you. That's outrageous love, my friends. This is what we need to strive for. Here's the third thing is risk yourself. Last week we talked about living out of selfie mode. Now now we want to talk about another level of risk. That loving people like this is dangerous because you got to kind of put yourself out there. When you walk across the room, especially with somebody that has let you down, you, you put yourself out there. But we're talking about building a legacy of love. And you can't build a legacy without willing to do something a little dangerous. And for you, that danger might be loving people that are really difficult to love and putting yourself possibly in harm's way. I'm convinced 
one of the greatest people in modern history to show off this kind of love that we're talking about today is Mother Teresa. Now, I don't care if our theological convictions are different than hers. I am convinced that in, within modern history, there's nobody that has put this on display more than Mother Teresa. And some of you don't even know who she was and, and what she did for our world, but she made our world a better place because she loved people that were the forgotten, that were the untouchable, that were the unlovable, and she went to them and she loved them with the love of Christ. Go and watch this video. In 1931, Mother Teresa traveled to Calcutta, India to teach at an all-girls high school. But on September 10, 1946, a second calling from Christ led Mother Teresa to leave her convent and devote herself to working with the poorest of the poor. With Vatican permission, in 1950, Mother Teresa created the Missionaries of Charity. Mother Teresa is one of the great humanitarians of the 20th century because of her ability to love those who were the most vulnerable in society. The work she did in India really challenged entrenched notions of caste and gender roles, and she worked very closely with lepers and other people who were disenfranchised, marginalized, dispossessed. During the 60s, Mother Teresa opened hospices, orphanages, and leper houses all over India, and later expanded internationally. In 1982, during the siege of Beirut, Mother Teresa traveled through a war zone to evacuate 37 children, and later assisted radiation victims at Chernobyl and earthquake victims in Armenia. Mother Teresa cares about people. She recognizes their spiritual dignity. She takes care of not just their spiritual needs, but their bodily needs as well. And she gathers other people to help her do that. That, in my mind, is a good humanitarian. In 1979, Mother Teresa was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize and donated the $192,000 prize fund to the poor in India. Six years later, President Ronald Reagan awarded her with a Presidential Medal of Freedom. By 1986, Mother Teresa operated 517 missions in more than 100 countries. A very charismatic nun, this little old nun with the wrinkled face and the very simple white sari, caring for the dying on the street, people that have so little hope. That's one of the reasons that uh, she was given the Nobel Prize. <laughs> and you think, uh, but she's Mother Teresa. Well, before she was Mother Teresa, she was a woman that just loved God and that wanted to put that love on display in a practical way. And, and I mean, if you could Google her name later, I mean, there's all kinds of quotes, but one of the greatest quotes that are out there is, is this quote that I have on the screens. It says, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. I, I mean, that's in essence who Mother Teresa was. But I believe that calling of that outrageous love that she put on display, it's not without its own danger. I mean, she would hug leprous people of a very you know, contagious disease, and she would love them, she would hold them, she would hug them. She put herself in harm's way in a way that, that probably we haven't seen in thousands of years. But yet, we're being called to live this way. Matter of fact, I will go as far as to say God created us to live this way. And so as we take an inventory of our own life, we have to ask ourselves a question. How am I really risking myself and how I'm loving people? How, how am I putting myself in, in harm's way in, in loving other people? You know, 
I'm going to talk just briefly about this Africa trip that we have planned, this mission trip that we're going to do this summer, the beginning of the summer. We leave on Memorial Day. And not all of you are, are going to be able to do this with us, but uh, we are partnering with our Vegas campus, and we're going over there for two weeks, and we're going to love some very vulnerable children and, and even orphan children uh, at a school that we've been sponsoring for the last 10 years. And, and we're, we're helping these kids, not giving them a handout, but we're giving them a hand up. Our churches have been sponsoring their education and their discipleship for the last 10 years, and now we've been sponsoring them long enough where we've seen these kids that have come that have been orphaned go through all of their education, and one one child in particular that was there that we've raised up, he's went back, got his education, got his teaching credential, and is now teaching at the very school that blessed him and gave him the ability to have an education. Just phenomenal. And he loves Jesus with all of his heart. So it's not just us educating, but we're discipling them. And so we want to go over there for two weeks. We're going to do an evangelistic outreach with the communities around the area. And we're also going to be taking care of the kids and doing some uh, an amazing uh, couple things with the, the kids while we're over there for the, the two weeks. And so some of you, maybe that is a way to jumpstart this kind of love. You know, you got to get some shots to go over there. There's diseases over there that they deal with that we don't really deal with over here. And, and so you're putting yourself out there a little bit by even going over to another country. But I'm telling you, you will come back with a whole new capacity to love that you didn't even know you could love. But it requires risk. And that's what I get excited about, like taking people on mission trips like this. And it doesn't just have to be Africa. I mean, we got Mexico. We, we, I'm sure as we get going as a church community, we're going to have all kinds of opportunities to put ourselves out there and to risk ourselves for the sake of loving people that need to be loved. But, but here's how I want to land today. And I'll have the worship team come up. Is As you're thinking about this idea of, of your love and building that legacy of love that even after you're gone, even after you're buried, that this, this legacy about your life will still be lingering after you're gone. You know, my mom has been gone now for six years. She died in 2013. I have a picture of her. And uh, that's, that's my mom in the right. And I wish you guys could meet her. But you will in heaven. Let me tell you about my mom. She really was moved by my own relationship with God when, when I started fully surrendering my life to Christ and she started coming to church with me. And she loved it so much she, she wanted to get involved and start serving in the church. And so she put herself in the nursery program and she started loving babies. Well, a couple of months into just being a part of the nursery, she was uh, you know, taking all of the linens home and washing them. Uh, she was calling moms during the week, asking how she could help. One lady in particular in our church didn't, didn't know how to be a mom. My mom dropped everything and went over to this lady's house, showed her everything about being a mom, did her dishes, and stayed with her and just helped her learn how to be a mom. My, my mom built a legacy of loving people really, really well. And every once in a while, I get on Facebook and I said, boy, I miss my mom. I'll inevitably get like 10 messages from people saying, your mom touched me in a way, Jim, that, that you'll never know. She, she loved me and my kids so well. 
Now the babies that she took care of back then, they're in their 30s, and they remember Miss Donna as somebody that loved them very, very, very well. She built a legacy of love that is still moving through the atmosphere of this world six years after she's not even on this planet anymore. And I'm convinced she's taking care of the nursery in heaven that God put her in charge of it because she does a really good job. But, but I, I want to inspire you this morning. I know there's people that have let you down, and I know that you let other people down. But let's raise our roofs. Let's restart our hearts. Let's risk ourselves and move into a new realm that we have a legacy of love moving through us that puts this love on display better than just words in the Bible, that we become the living epistles of God by how we love people really, really well. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at www.atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click on the tab that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. Bye.